I want us to continue this morning real quick, and I'm going to try to be brief. Yeah, sweet. Is that me making those noises? I don't know. Um, So that we can just pick up right where we are. Turn with me, if you would, uh, to John chapter 4. We're, we're working our way through, through John, and I, I think the Lord knows what he's doing. That we're kind of camped out in this moment right now, and the Lord knew we'd get to this moment. And, and uh, the Lord's doing a work in us. Last week, we, were, we started the story of the woman at the well. And whether you're familiar with that story or not, What we found out last week is this woman at the well had a thirst in her soul that could not be quenched. And the only thing that could fill that thirst is God. We talked about last week two words, know God. The only thing that's going to fill the quench in your soul is to know God. How many know that to be true this morning? But to truly know God. Not just know about God, but to truly know. No, God, the woman was thirsty. We all are thirsty. And what Jesus actually said to her, he said, if you knew the gift of God, if you knew who was standing in front of you, well, who is Jesus? If we flip back to John chapter 1, which is just a few pages in front of this, remember, although we're taking weeks to go through this, if you're reading through this, this is not very far apart in Scripture. Jesus said, if you knew the gift of God, who was speaking to you? Well, who is this gift of God that's speaking? And and just so you know, that's the free gift of God, the no-strings-attached gift of God. Jesus said, if you knew who I really was, and who is he? Well, John tells us in John chapter 1, it says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And what? And the Word was God. And then it tells us that the Word became flesh in verse 14, and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Jesus is the word. Say the word. I'm gonna, that's the big important thing this morning is the word of God. Jesus is the word. His word has freedom. I, I'm, I'm spoiling all my points right out the gate. I'm not going to hide them toward the end so you can get excited about them later. You've got to get excited now. Jesus is the word. His word brings freedom. Jesus said, you shall know the truth, and what? The truth will set you free. There's freedom in the truth of Jesus' word. He is the word. And so we're, we see him telling you, if you knew the gift of God, if you knew God, if you know God, which, just so you know, if, if you're new to our church, this is the vision of our church. The first two statements in the vision of our church is know God. When we come here on Sunday morning, we have one purpose, and it's to know God. For the person who's been coming their entire life, or if you're a first-time guest, we want you to know God. But the second two words in our vision is to find freedom. Know God, find freedom. And how do we find freedom? Well, I just gave it away. Through His Word. Through His Word. We talked about last week that it was highly shocking that Jesus was even talking to this Samaritan woman. And I want to take a second to to tie your entire Bible together. Do you realize that this entire Old Testament testifies of Jesus? The other day, I think one of our kids, they asked, what's the difference between the Jewish people and us? I said, well, we have the same Old Testament Bible, 
right? But we also have the New Testament, but we also believe the entire Old Testament testifies about Jesus, that he is the word. And I want to tie this Old Testament to you. Um, we, we talked a few weeks about Abraham, the father of the Hebrew faith. He had a son named Isaac, and he had a son named Jacob. And Jacob actually had 12 sons. Now I'm over, oversimplifying some of this for the sake of time. Um, there was a few changes and all this stuff. But for simplicity's sake, Jacob has 12 sons. Jacob's name is changed to Israel. His name is changed from trickster or deceiver to one who strives with God. And we talked about last week that when God gets a hold of you, it changes who you are. How many have experienced that in your own life? That God got a hold of you and it changed who you are. He had 12 sons and these 12 sons would go on to have lots of kids. Lots and lots of kids. And these kids would become tribes, kind of like we have states today in the United States. Well, they had 12 tribes. The difference was, was these 12 tribes all had to do with genetic heritage, right? Like my great, 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 great grandfather was Levi. So I'm a Levite. It'd be kind of like today saying my great, 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 great grandfather was an Arkansas. So I'm an Arkansan. That's not how it works, is it here? Uh, but they were very proud of their tribe, kind of like when you meet a Texan. I don't know why they're so proud of themselves, but they are. Any Texans in the room? One. I, didn't, I never knew. They were very proud of their tribe. One of those 12 sons, his name was Judah. We just were singing, Hell, Hell, Lion of Judah, and some of you maybe you were getting into it. You're like, Hell, Hell, Lion of Judah. I have no clue what this means. <laughs> Who was Judah? Well, Judah was actually one of the 12 sons who would have tons of kids and they would become a tribe. In fact, Judah would become the largest tribe of the 12 tribes of Israel. So here's Judah. And if you go all, we won't turn there. But if you go all the way back to the end of Genesis, here is Jacob, and he's blessing his 12 sons. And in his blessing, he calls Judah a lion. And he says something to Judah. He says that his tribe, someone from his tribe, will rule forever, and his brothers will bow to him. Now, I'm sure when Judah heard it, maybe he was like, that's right. Judah's going to rule forever. We're a lion, and you guys are all going to bow to me. I don't know if that's the way he felt or not. But now, when we read this thousands of years later, we know it wasn't about Judah. It was about Jesus. That this lion of the tribe of Judah is Jesus, and Jesus will rule forever, and all the nations will bow to Jesus. And you look around the world today and say, Pastor Drew, I don't see the world bowing to Jesus. And I'm going to tell you something this morning. There's a day coming where Jesus will reveal himself to the entire world. And he will show himself for who he really is. And the scripture tells us when we see him, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. I, I was talking about this morning with 
with our team. And it, it'd almost be like, you're like, well, some people never do that. It'd be like walking up to the Grand Canyon and be like, well, that's just a hole. That's not impressive. Are you dense? No one would say that. And if they said that, you know they're just being whatever. That's that, like when you walk up to the edge of the Grand Canyon, has anyone ever been there? You walk up and you're just like, whoa, get back, kids. In fact, when we went, my daughter Michaela disappeared. And she was up at the top of a tree just 10 feet from the edge of the Grand Canyon. I was like, that girl, she stresses me out, guys. She had no clue she was in danger. The same thing when Jesus reveals himself, no one's going to be like he's you realize his awesome and his majesty and his glory is going to be so great. There's not going to be anyone who's just going to be like, yeah, whatever. That's all right. You're, you're not going to be able to help yourself when you finally see Jesus for who he is. You're not going to be able to walk up to him and be like, hey, I want to ask you a question about something. That's not that's not going to be your reaction. Your reaction is going to be to fall on your face and every good accomplishment you ever had in your life, you're going to want to throw it at his feet and say, you are holy, holy, holy. And I am nothing. Any good I ever have was because of you, Jesus. You are holy. And so in Genesis, we see Genesis 39, I think, or towards the end. Where he prophesies to Judah about you're a lion. And you will rule forever. And all nations will bow to you. All your brothers will bow to you. And then that's Genesis. You go all the way to Revelations. To Revelations chapter 5. And you see it there from the beginning to the end. And it calls Jesus the lion of the tribe of Judah. And it actually says... The prophet's saying, I I was sad because there was the scroll. There was the word. Say the word. That's what we're talking about. What brings freedom? The word. The prophet's sad because he sees the scroll. He's he's in this vision where he's up in heaven, and the scroll is shut, and he wants to know what it says. He wants to know the word, and no one can know what it says. but, But the angel says, hey, don't worry about that because the lion of the tribe of Judah is about to bust this thing wide open. The, the, the one who was the lamb. Remember what, remember what John called Jesus? He said, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This meek little timid lamb at the end of time is called the lion of the tribe of Judah. What does that matter? Fast forward. God's people decide they need a king. The nation of Israel, the 12 tribes, we need a king. And the prophets are like, but, but God is your king. We have these judges that are helping us out here. God is your king. And they're like, we don't care. We want to be like everybody else. We want a king. Can I tell you, they get a king. And most of their kings, almost all of their kings, there's just very few kings that end up being good kings of all their kings. Most of them did evil in the sight of the Lord. That's what the scripture says. They did evil in the sight of the Lord. We want a king. We want to be like everybody else. I'm going to tell you this morning, friends, we do not want to be like the rest of the world. But this is the way the rest of the world is doing it. I have to remind myself, like, as a church sometimes, like, well, all the other churches are doing this, this, and this. We should do it too. It doesn't necessarily mean it's good. 
well, don't we need to get this thing or buy that thing or do this thing? Yeah, but I think we're supposed to tell people about Jesus. Does doing that thing or buying that thing or getting that thing help us tell people about Jesus? Oh, it doesn't? I'm not sure we need it. We have to put things in perspective. What's our goal? And so they get a king. His name is Saul. Some of you know the story of Saul. He was from the tribe of Benjamin. That's another one of the 12 tribes. He was terrible. He actually consulted witches instead of God about what should I do next? Don't consult witches. That's not good. And so God rejects him as king and sets off a new king, David. How many have ever heard of King David? He was of the tribe of guess what? Judah. He was of the tribe of Judah. That's interesting. And guess what? His lineage continues. He has a son named Solomon. Solomon started off pretty good. He gave us Proverbs. Those are pretty great. He gave us Song of Solomon. I don't know if I'll ever preach out a Song of Solomon from this pulpit or not. Maybe someday. If you're like, why, Pastor Drew? Go home and read it. And we'll talk. Maybe that's a, a D-group book. I'm not a, anyway. Solomon started great, but then he ended bad. And then something happens, and you need to know this, is that the northern tribes, they get tired of the taxation of Solomon. Wait, they were still concerned about taxes thousands of years ago? Yes. Yes, that's been a thing for all of human history. I hate taxes. Well, so did they. And so the northern kingdom split away from the southern kingdom. And so I'll tell you this to say this, like, like Benjamin and Judah, they stayed together because Judah was the biggest one. And guess where Jerusalem was? It was in Judah. So we talked about a few weeks, weeks ago, Jerusalem is God's holy city, and it sits on a mountain called Zion, which is God's holy hill. And so the northern kingdom breaks away. We don't want to be a part of you anymore. Now there's two kings on two thrones. The northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. And Judah's down south and these other ten tribes are up north. And they have to make a new capital. The name of this new capital is Samaria. Sound familiar? But they have to have a place of worship in Samaria. So they come up with a new hill. Mount Gerizim. And... On their new hill, now they have to build a new temple. But it's not the place God ordained. And then the prophets come, and you could read about some of this in 2 Kings. I'm trying to tie your whole Bible together. The prophets come. You've probably heard of Isaiah and Micah and Hosea and Amos and all these prophets. And they all have the same message. They said, people of God, you promised to serve the Lord. You promised, and you promised that if you didn't serve the Lord, that you would accept his punishment and his judgment, and none of you are serving the Lord. Your kings are evil. You're, you're partaking in other religions that, that aren't even godly. You're, some of you are partaking in, in sacrifice, sacrifice of children and, and all sorts of evil things. You need to change your hearts, because if you don't, God will send judgment on us. And what happened was in the year 722, 
B.C., the Assyrians came in and took over the northern kingdom, where the capital was Samaria. Now, over time, the entire region took on the name of the capital, which is Samaria. And so the Assyrians, you can go read it. This is crazy. You can go read it in 2 Kings. Uh, God sent lions to the northern kingdom, to Samaria, because they were serving other gods and stuff, and they were intermarrying in ways that God told them not to. And so the king of Assyria was like, uh, send one of their prophets down there to tell them to stop doing things that makes their God mad so they'll stop getting eaten by lions. It's just one of those weird stories of the Bible, right? So the northern kingdom begins to intermarry with the Assyrians. And I'm just trying to tie your entire Bible here together because it all goes together. And now all these people living in that area of Samaria who have their own mountain that they worship on, with their own temple that they've made up. They even have their own version of the Pentateuch. Pentateuch, penta means five, the first five books of the Bible. They have their own version of the first five books of the Bible. But it's not like the one you'd read down in Jerusalem. And they begin to intermarry with the Assyrians. And so this makes the people in the southern kingdom hate the people in the northern kingdom because they're half-Jews, and they compromise, and they worship on a, a different mountain. In their mind, they might as well serve a different god. Over time, that area that, of Judah, the name changes to Judea. It's the same name. Does that sound familiar? Samaria, Judea? It's interesting that when Jesus was talking to them, he said, you will be my witnesses first where? In Jerusalem, which was the city they were in, which coincidentally lies right between Judea and Samaria. That's the northern and southern kingdom. First will be my your witnesses right here in Jerusalem, then Judea and Samaria, which is the region, and then to the ends of the earth. It's a mission strategy. How do you do missions? You start where you are, then to the surrounding region, and then to the ends of the earth. That's a lot of context. Some of you are like, my brain hurts now, Pastor Drew. It's okay. I just want you to know your entire Bible fits together. Now, if you've zoned out, this is the moment you need to zone back in. So lean in. Look at your neighbor and say, wake up. We see this woman at the well. She's talking to God in the flesh. And this is what she says to him. How is that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? She says stuff like this. Sir, you have nothing to draw water with. And I, I just can't, like, it, she sounds extremely sarcastic. She's talking to the God of the universe, and she's throwing sarcasm in his face. Anybody ever had a teenager before? Where do you get this living water? You can almost hear it in her voice, right? Where do you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? I mean, he dug this well with his own hands. Are you greater than him? There's no way she thinks that this stranger who she's met 
by the swell in the middle of the day is greater than her father Jacob, her forefather. And then when she asked, sir, give me this water so I'll not be thirsty or have to come draw water, I don't actually think she's being serious here. I personally think she's being sarcastic here too. Give me this water. You have something so great? Okay, give it to me. And that's where we pick up on our story today, verse 16, where Jesus says this to her, go call your husband and come here. And the woman answered him, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you're right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one that you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. And the woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. What Jesus said to her is, look, here's the reality. You need freedom. And you've been looking to quench your thirst with guy after guy after guy after guy. And the guy you're with right now is not even your husband. It's just some guy you're living with. And I, I want to take a moment to say that marriage is a holy thing. And even though this woman was sarcastic and rude, to the creator of the universe, and even though she was living in utter sin, Jesus wasn't like, hey, you're not good enough for me to talk to. He stayed there and kept the conversation going. And, like, Jesus wasn't this judgmental person that the world makes him out to be. Although I'd say in our culture, they would say, well, Jesus was kind, just the church is judgmental. And I, I look around this room and I see a bunch of people who have met Jesus and it wouldn't matter who you met, you would show them love and kindness no matter what kind of lifestyle they came from. I would say I, I don't know what the world is talking about. They need us to be judgmental though because it lets them off the hook. And, and it's like this. I, it doesn't surprise me any longer how unbelievers act. Can I tell you, unbelievers are going to act like unbelievers. Can I tell you, we're not trying to deal with their sin first. We're trying to get their heart. Like some people, like we'll just need to make them clean first and then bring them to Jesus. That's not what we do. We bring their hearts to Jesus and then he addresses the sin. He didn't say, notice Jesus didn't say, uh, hey, you need to stop living with those guy, this guy before I uh, minister you anymore. He didn't say that. What he did was he put his finger on the thing that she was trying to use to find freedom for her life, but it wasn't working, obviously. Going from guy to guy to guy to guy was not freedom to her. And I think it's at this moment where she realizes there's something different about this man. Sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. There's something going on here. So where does she think she needs to find freedom? Well, if it's not with these men, maybe it's in religion. And, and I'm, guys, I'm not bashing religion. Religion itself can be a good thing if it's religion as in a devotion to God, which is the definition of religion. But the problem is, in our culture today, religion tends to be just a list of rules that we follow to prove that we're right and everybody else is wrong. That kind of religion is worthless. And that's what this woman launches into. She says, our fathers 
worshipped on this mountain. Remember, I told you they had their own mountain. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say it's in Jerusalem. Is where the place where the people ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me. The hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. Then he says this, you worship what you don't know. He's actually acknowledging that the way the Samaritans worship isn't right. He says, but we, he's talking about the Jews, we worship what we do know for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Say that with me, in spirit and in truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. You see, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him, say with me again, in spirit and in truth. The, the reality is, is the way they were worshiping there in Samaria on their own mountain, in their own temple, with their own version of the Bible, it wasn't right. And I'm going to take a second and make us pause for a second. Sometimes you're going to read things in the word of God that challenge the way you think and challenge the way you believe. And the temptation is going to be, let me find another verse or some way to explain this away so I don't have to surrender in this area. Which is what the Samaritans have done. They had tweaked the religion to fit them. Well, instead of Mount Zion, it's Mount Gerizim. Instead of it doing this way, we're going to do it our way. The New Testament says that in the last days, people will have itching ears and they'll just find people who say things they like. Like, oh, I like the way he preaches. Oh, I like the way he makes me feel. I'm going to listen to him. What if we're called to get in a word and find things that, that challenge our hearts? What if even in this church one day we pick up this word and we're like, wait a minute, we're doing things this way and this is saying Something different than what we do. You know what we do then? We change to the word. The word is true. Not our traditions. Not our tweaks and our changes. It's the word of God that is true. So we have to be careful. Now this woman had enough training that she knew that the Messiah was coming. And that freedom would come through him. Because here Jesus, he's just shot down her religion. You're not going to find free freedom to that religion. In fact, you're not even going to find freedom in doing religion right. He's saying not even in Jerusalem where they're doing it all right. Where they're doing it by the book. It's not even good enough. Because it's just outward appearance. It's just for show. That's not where you find freedom. By just looking religious by actually doing things the right way. So the woman says to him, she's starting to get it now, okay? Well, it's not with these men, and it's not with my religion. She says this to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, who's called the Christ. And when he comes, he will tell us all things. I want you to pause there, because I never caught this until I studied it this last week. When he comes, he'll do what? He will tell us all things. I'll say it again. He will tell us all things. What is she acknowledging? 
that freedom will come through the words of the Messiah. How does true freedom come? Through the words of the Christ, through the words of the Messiah. She still has no clue who she's talking to. I recognize, I'm realizing that the only way I can truly be free is listening to the words of Christ himself. And Jesus says this to her. I who speak to you am he. He reveals who he is. He shows who he is to her finally. And now she gets it. Now she gets it. I, I love it because in the original language, it actually says, I am he who is speaking to you. He actually says, I am And if you know any of the Old Testament, you know the significance of that. The name of the Lord God is I am. And in the original, he actually says, I am he who is speaking to you. I am the one. And she gets it. Where's the team? You come back up. And Wes, if you'll get ready, I'm going to. We have to know who God is, and we have to find freedom through his word. Do you realize that's the reason we do D groups? Like, the reason we have our discipleship groups, like, when we, when we have our D groups, we like to sit down, we like to eat. It helps us to get to know each other on a, a more personal level. But one of the first things we try to push on people, we, we do try to push things on you, right? We're saying, come and follow. Do things like I'm doing. What we're trying to do is we, we don't sit in a circle and be like, oh, you're, you're having a bad day. You're, you're fighting with your spouse. Well, let me tell you what I think you should do. You should go home and you should. It's not what we do. What do we do? We listen. We observe. And then we say this to the person. Well, what does the word say about what you're walking through right now? And if they say, well, I don't know. Then we say, well, let's all. Let's all dive in. What does the word say about this? And Oh, it says that husbands love your wives like Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Oh, okay. So what do you think you need to do? It's all about going back to what? The word. It's not about my opinion and what Drew thinks you should do. And can I tell you, as a pastor, I have found freedom in knowing all I have to do is know the word. Because... Over the last decade or so of being a pastor here, there's been situations come at me which I have no grid for how to counsel. I don't have enough information or training for it. And so people will call, and some of their situations break my heart, and they're beyond what I can comprehend. And I'm like, I don't know what to do. And the Lord reminds me, all I have to do is know His Word. So I can be a listening ear. And then when you're ready, I have the word of the Lord to comfort you and guide you and encourage you. There's a lot of freedom in that. You don't have to have all the answers. You just have to have the word of God. There's freedom in the word. But as we were singing this song this morning about the Lion of Judah,
we truly have to understand who God is. We truly have to know Him. Do you know who He is or do you just know about Him? And your response will shift. Someone who just knows about Him responds differently than someone who knows Him. It's the difference between information being here or what my grandfather calls the 18 inches. Here. Do you realize the, dis the, the distance between heaven and hell is just 18 inches. It's here to here. You could know about God all day long. But unless your heart is surrendered, unless you truly know Him here, you don't know Him. Will you bow your heads for just a moment? I want you to examine your heart for just a second. Just quiet your heart and pray for just a moment. So just, just a moment ago, Jamie shared part of her testimony. And in that testimony, she, she talked about two times in her life where she'd gone through hard things. Her time before knowing Jesus and her after she knew him. that makes all the difference that things that should break you don't because it's not about you it's about knowing who he really is that he truly is victorious do you realize that's why he's the lion of judah because who's gonna sneak and mess with a lion can i tell you nobody can i tell you this morning if a lion comes through those doors church is over we're done we're going home Call animal control. Good luck to them. Hopefully they film it. That's going to be a great viral video. Lions are dangerous. No one messes with a lion. He is victorious. And for me, when I've gone through some of the hardest moments in my life, I can echo the same testimony. The only reason I made it through is because I knew the lion of the tribe of Judah was in my corner. You realize he's not a little baby anymore. Like Christmas is great and all, y'all. But Jesus ain't no baby in a manger. I'm glad he was, but that's not who he is today. He's a conquering king. And just like the woman at the well, some of the reason you guys are struggling in life is because you don't rightly understand who Jesus is. 
Will you stand with me? We're going to continue with worship for just a moment. This is part of this moment. And we'll be dismissing here after a while. We have a lot of stuff to go on and other things we need to talk about. But let's not get in a hurry and miss what God's trying to do in our hearts this morning.